1: And welcome to episode 340 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in
0: Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas.
1: In our last episode, we shared tips on how to set aside time for spring cleaning your tech, or more accurately, how to pay attention to tech cleaning and maintenance year-round and make it part of your own routine. I also adhere to Tom's ban on me discussing generative AI and GPT on the podcast, To the Letter of the Law. Today in this episode, with summer just around the corner, we thought it'd be a great opportunity once again, as we do most summers, to talk about summer reading lists. I will again comply to, with Tom's prohibition on discussing AI and GPT.
0: Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Dennis, you literally said the word twice in like the last 30 seconds, so I don't know what compliance means in your world. But in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be discussing the importance of summer reading and sharing our top book recommendations for the season. In our second segment, we're going to introduce a new term to this podcast— the Fediverse, and dive into the fascinating concept of the federation of social media platforms and its potential implications. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, let's talk about the importance of summer reading. Summer reading lists offer several benefits that can enhance your reading experience, make your summer more enjoyable. Uh, Dennis thinks our approaches to summer reading and reading lists have evolved, but I'm not so sure about my approach. Dennis, what do you see as the benefits of summer reading and summer reading lists specifically?
1: Well, you know, this summer I I focus on personal growth and development, you know, exploration, discovery, as people commonly use reading for, and, you know, escape. And relaxation, which I think is all part of the summer. I also like the fact that summer just allows you to set aside some time and a little priority for doing some reading or even doing some rereading of some of your favorite books or books that are important to you. So, in its own way, it's it's kind of like the the notion of digital detox to say like, well, this is a good time to just set aside some time and and do some reading and learning and maybe a little bit of escape
0: and relaxation. How about you, Tom? Sounds like someone who doesn't have a job for the summer, because for me, it's never about a summer reading. I don't really, that's that's why it's different for me, because I don't really stop to think that my reading habits change because the month is June, July, and August. My reading habits are the same. But I'm always doing personal growth and development, exploration and discovery, and escape and relaxation, although probably more escape and relaxation most of the time because I'm working a lot and I need an escape for books. So, uh, you know, I, I think the only thing for me that might be different is to the extent that you are able to take a vacation, to the extent that you are able to get away from work, some of us longer than others, then I think that's a good time to set some time aside and do some reading. I tend to feel better about the escape and relaxation part of, the, of reading during that time of the year. But I do agree that it's always a good time to learn more, to better yourself. A lot of my recommendations are, are about that. And if not summer, uh, why not? Any, anyway, I guess summer's the best time to do it.
1: Well said, Mr. Taking a Cruise Pretty Soon guy we did mention that reading has evolved and I, I I like to reflect on this because I used to do a lot of my reading came from just stopping by the library or a, a, a bookstore, and I actually read books. Um, and we've talked over time how, um, especially as you get older, you tend to move away from books, you know, because fonts and and the print size and stuff can be can be a hassle. And and uh, you know, I've I've really moved to audiobooks. And time. I've learned something that that you mentioned uh, and you've talked about for a long time with the audiobooks. Is a part of the experience is the book itself on uh, the story or what's the content of the book. But the other thing is who the reader is and how it's done. And that, you know, like a read, uh, the if the reader doesn't match the book well or doesn't do a good job, uh, you might've actually really enjoyed the book, but you just can't listen to it. And so that's the evolution for me. Um, I also say people rarely hand me a book to, to read anymore and say like, you got to read this. And then the other thing I've learned with the audiobooks is it's a lot easier for me to say like, yeah, I, I, I don't I don't need to read this all the way at the end. I can stop and and get rid of it. So that's that's where I talk about in in terms of the
0: evolution of my own reading approach. I honestly don't think that my approach has as modified because I've I don't know the last time I read a paper book. Um it's been years and years and years and I've just been very happy reading electric electronic books and As I think we've mentioned in past Summer Reading List podcasts, I routinely am reading two books or three books at a time, and one of those is always an audiobook. I feel sometimes as if an audiobook is cheating. I feel like it's not really reading the book because you're listening to it, but I totally agree that the performer—I'm not even going to say the reader—I'm going to say the performer makes all the difference in the world— because there are books that I have read that I do, I really don't enjoy reading, but if I listen to it, it is like listening to a movie or listening to some uh, a, a very entertaining drama. And I will always choose the, uh, the, the audiobook version of certain authors over, uh, over the print version because uh, it's just so much more enjoyable. But uh, I'm still sort of powering along. One One book on the Kindle for pleasure, one book on the Kindle for uh, personal growth and development, and one book on the audio, and I can very rarely listen to nonfiction in audio. It puts me to sleep very quickly.
1: Yeah, that's sometimes a good test for an audiobook. I, I sort of have this rule, like if, if I fall asleep twice on uh, an audiobook, I probably don't need to finish it. Um, also, I think that with reading, even in the summer, there is this competition out there. Um, and for me, that's long form TV series. Uh, I don't really do gaming. I know, Tom, that you do. But those are, you know things that, that people do that I think substitute in many ways for 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 reading. Um, and so yeah, you, you try to fit this that in. That's why I sort of in, analogize the summer reading approach to being like this digital detox. Even if you use the digital forms, it's like, let me just reserve some time to actually just reading some books.
0: Well, and it's competition for me, too. But just like everything else we've talked about today, it's not just summer competition for me. I mean, long-form television and games are all the time competition for books, which is why I have decided in my in my task list, I have kind of routinized reading as something I want to do, um, and so I, I've, I've made it to where I can do kind of streaks. How many days in a row can I read my nonfiction book? How many days in a row can I read another book? So I've got a, a little checklist, so I make sure I'm always telling myself to read, because sometimes I forget get because I'm doing other stuff. All right. We've taught, we've kind of navel-gazed for too long on how we read and why we read and how it's changed. Let's go into some of the book recommendations of things that maybe we're going to read, things maybe we've already read that we think people should uh, read. Uh, What's your first up, Dennis?
1: Well, as you know, I taught a class in AI and law at uh, Michigan State this semester and it was a uh, crazy time and fun time to uh, to teach that class and when i started the class i was looking to find like a really plain language great introduction to ai from somebody who was like in the field for a long time and i found this book called artificial intelligence by melanie mitchell and it fit the bill perfectly I'm gonna reread it uh, this summer after having taught the course. And I, you know, obviously we've read it in the class. And the one piece of feedback I got from all the students was they loved this book as the introduction to AI and they felt it really helped them kind of understand what was happening in this sort of plain language way, I mean, it, it, there are places you can dive in, into more technical stuff, but it covers all the issues and the approaches and, and and how it works. And it's just super useful. And it's the book that I recommend to anybody these days who wants to learn about AI, uh, you know, from a solid foundation.
0: Well, and and I will add to that that if you're going to read a book about technology, it needs to be the kind of book that tends to, timeless is probably not the right word, but it, it needs to be something that can withstand the test of time, which is why you're not going to see a single technology book on my list today because I just I, I would rather learn about technology in more online ways than in book ways, because by the time, you know we talk about it all the time, by the time print appears, what else has changed? I mean, if there was a book on Chat GPT, I mean it would go out of, it would go out of currency in like literally 30 minutes. So uh, that's why I'm not talking about. It. So instead, We're going to spend a lot of time here on on the personal (laughs) growth and development piece Um, because there are a lot of books that I want to read. This first one is called, that I recommend is called, 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals uh, by Oliver Berkman. Um, the title is based on the number of weeks that an 80-year-old person would live. If they, if you live to be 80 years old, you would be living 4,000 weeks. And what it is, is, um, it's a time management book, but it's looking at time management in a different way. It's looking at it not about being a slave to productivity and not being a slave to all of the tips and tricks that you see all over the place on how to manage time. Instead of being more efficient, it's about learning what to neglect. It's um, instead of having limitless choices, it's better to burn bridges uh, than to keep your options open. Um, You know, he talks about, he describes that four thousand weeks as the outrageous brevity, uh, which is kind of kind of scary and sobering when you think about it. And about uh, you know about how to construct your life uh, that does justice to that period of time. You know, I am. I'll always in pursuit of something making me more efficient. And maybe what I really should be looking for is something that teaches me more about limits and routines and finding a better way to think about it.
1: Yeah, so my next one is, is called Idea Flow. And that's one word uh, by Jeremy Utley. So I often get called an idea person. And I really think a lot about ideas and approaches to ideas and trying to get better at that and to uh, do that in structured ways so that I can learn how to do that. And this book, which I haven't read yet, but I've, I've definitely read articles and heard uh, podcasts uh, involving the author, is something I want to read because it does look at ideas and getting a f- flow of ideas and how how you set yourself up to get better about that and how to Get that going um, in structured ways, and I think that having that large quantity of ideas is extremely useful in the times that we're in these days, as we're we're facing a bunch of different challenges, and there's new technologies and uh, all these changes happening. To be able to generate a lot of ideas um, and then choose from them is uh, is one way of of dealing with that that level of change that we're experiencing.
0: All right, my next book is we we've, we've talked a little bit about time management. Now I'm going to move on to uh, I guess health management and the book that I am actually currently reading right now is called Outlive The Science and Art of Longevity by Peter Atiyah. He's a doctor. Um, I I listen to the Huberman Lab podcast. I don't know if you listen to it. I highly recommend it. It's a great podcast hosted by a professor of neurobiology. He has tons of great doctor guests on there to talk about different ways of uh, improving and optimizing your health. Uh, Great podcast. I could not recommend it more. One of his guests recently was Dr. Peter Atiyah, who wrote this book. You know, the book is... Call the science and art of longevity. The argument that he makes is he's not trying to tell you how to live as long as you possibly can. It's how to maximize the time you have left to live, in terms of health, to make those years enjoyable. So he'll talk. He's talked about you know why your cholesterol test is not going to tell you enough about the actual risk of having a heart attack. uh, How uh, how exercise is probably the most potent pro-longevity drug out there and uh, why you should focus less on diets and more on something called nutritional biochemistry and, uh, and then why an- ignoring emotional health is a huge mistake. Lots of great tips in there. I sort of feel like at the age I am, I'm a little late to this book, but I'm hoping that there will be enough information in there to, uh, to do something about it even at my advanced years. <laughs>
1: So my next one is really something, an approach that I try, um, and I haven't made a decision yet, but I like to, in the summer, concentrate on one author and then read a number of books by that author uh, during the summer. So I'm at the point where I've narrowed it down to two choices, and so one is William Dalrymple, who... uh, uh, has written a number of books on the history of India and the British Empire, and has a, a really highly rated podcast uh, on related topics, and has written some some well reviewed books. So he's one possibility. The other is Barbara Tuckman, who I love rereading from time to time. Her book, The March of Folly. She's also written about the beginning of World War One, uh, which has uh, some uncomfortable parallels with our. Current times, uh, but I'll probably go in one of those directions. And, you know, time is, is kind of interesting. I think the the deciding point will be availability of, you know, which which author's books are most available in audiobook form.
0: Well, you know, and, and it reminds me one way, so I guess I should say, here is one way that my reading has evolved over the past couple of years is, I used to be a huge risk reader of history, either historical fiction or just straight history, and you know the past—I guess six, seven, eight years. Um, made me not want to, my reading, I wanted my reading to be about escape. I wanted my reading to be about not the real world, whether it was history in any form or or current times. And uh, that really hasn't changed. I occasionally will look at a book about history and think about it, but I, I, that's one thing. I used to read lots of history. I don't read it very much anymore. My last book for this segment is a book called Think Again by Adam Grant. And I think that to talk about, Kind of this day and age. It's a book about something we probably all could be doing more of, and that is the art of rethinking things, learning to question your opinions, um, learning to help open other people's minds to things. You know, he talks about uh, the joy of being wrong, you know, harnessing the advantages of imposter syndrome, which is something I need to obviously learn more about because that seems like it would be very useful to me. The message though is to let go of, of views that no longer serve us well, to start putting mental flexibility and humility and curiosity over consistency, so it's kind of a different way of thinking. And and I guess can you tell from my choices, Dennis, that I'm I'm looking to better myself in some way. And I like these ideas because they uh, I I think they will be challenged, all all of them will be challenging sort of my notions about uh, health, about time management, about just general overall opinions. So uh, those are some of the, the, the nonfiction books that I plan to read. we got more to talk about. We have more books to talk about, but let's do this real quick and take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's legal translation service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, The Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, Hiring and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S T A F I.cc and get $500 off with code HAPPY24.
1: And we're back. Tom, what else is on your list?
0: I'm going to close out my stuff by really talking about fiction books. I uh, will tell you that I uh, I highly recommend the Rise and Fall series if you are a fan of fantasy books. This is by a guy named Michael Sullivan. He has written one book a year for the last three years. He started writing during the pandemic. He has the final book coming out, and it's about a civilization, and each book takes place many hundreds of years after the book before it, so that there's, there are, Ties to the past book, but not in ways that are immediately apparent, and it shows how a civilization begins and ends through the series of three books. And um, I am waiting for the third book. That book is coming out in August, so maybe not technically a summer read this time. But the first two books very enjoyable, great books to read. Uh, if you are science fiction, this is a little bit out there. But there is the the Final Architecture series by an author named Adrian Tchaikovsky, and uh, it's uh, set. In a future where uh, Earth is long gone, and there, we've met many species from other worlds, and uh, there, I, I, I'm not even sure I can do a description justice. There is something called Unspace where you can travel fast uh, and go in between and slip and get to different parts of the the universe by getting into Unspace, and uh, and certain people are able to help you do that. And I, I it, it is a it, what what I like is is that it is science fiction e but it is more like a space soap opera because uh, the characters are fun, they're enjoyable, there's a ton of action, um, but it all takes place uh, in between planets with all sorts of weird-looking aliens and uh, other species, and uh, it's it's just a lot of fun to read.
1: Yeah, for me, I like to stay a little closer to the ground, Um, and uh, I'm a big fan of of detective novels and detective TV shows. And I just uh, finished the last of the DCI Banks uh, series of detective novels by Peter Robinson, and it's the last one because Peter Robinson uh, died recently. So I think there's 27, 28 books in that series. So I'm, I'm looking for a, a new detective series, or or maybe even two to to try this this summer. So. I, th- I think that will be fun. Um, and I'm, you know, again, looking for something that's in audio, probably something that's, uh, you know, has a kind of unique twist to it. And, uh, you know, and definitely no serial killers because I'm, I'm, I'm so bored by that whole uh, that whole genre.
0: I will only just add, because Dennis is looking for a detective series, I know that Dennis has, I think, also exhausted the Inspector Gamache series, but I'm still quite... this D- Inspector Gamache by Louise Penny is, to me, an ideal book for audiobook. Um, it is, I think, I don't... I really can't read the books uh, as well as I love to listen to the audiobooks. Um, his new book out is A World of Curiosities. Um, what I like about it is it's not just about a mystery um, it's about the lots of other things going on so there are there are lots of of other cross stories and and other plots that are happening throughout the book um, and she develops her characters so well they just have such great uh, personalities some are very funny some are very serious all are are great characters so i I highly recommend any Louise penny inspector Gamash book I have read that book, Tom, already. I have no spoilers for you. I'm in the middle of the audiobook right now, so Looking forward to it.
1: So, with my success on the Melanie Mitchell book on AI, I teach a class in the fall at MSU on uh, cybersecurity and data protection. So, I want to find a good uh, overview book on on data and uh, so basics of data, data law, and uh, and so the one I'm going to read in preparation for the class is is called is by Elizabeth. Renieris, R-E-N-I-E-R-I-S. It's called Beyond Data, Reclaiming Human Rights at the Dawn of the Metaverse. And I'm always looking for new approaches to data, data privacy, data protection, and how we think about data, uh, which is in, in data ethics as, as well. In, in not just the, the metaverse, but obviously this huge, huge issue in the world of AI. So that's my my prep for next semester over the summer.
0: But see, that sort of, to me, is the proof of my argument before, because the title of that book has the word metaverse in it, which, do we hear anything about the metaverse these days? Does it even exist? It has taken a huge backseat to, to artificial intelligence and chat GPT. So uh, I won't say that that's gone out of out of date already, but it just, it's... It just feels awkward uh, because no talent. All right. My, I have two recommendations for you. These are books I've already read and can highly recommend them. The first is Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. It just won the Pulitzer Prize, or I guess it co-won the Pulitzer Prize for literature. It is a, uh, a retelling of David Copperfield, but in West Virginia with an orphan. Uh, it is heartbreaking. It is wonderfully told. I could not recommend this book highly enough. It was cr- just a great book. I bawled at the end of it. I did also listen to this as an audiobook. In fact, these two two are audiobooks. Uh, This other one is um, rather uh, kind of something you may not aware is out there. Um, It's called the Beartown series. Frederick Bachman is an author, is a Swedish author, and so all of his books are translated into English. I happen to watch the television version of his first book called Beartown. It's about a a, a Swedish town where hockey is the only thing that matters and a lot of not great things happen to the team, the town and they sort of learned to come together. And then I totally missed the fact that it was a series of three books and I, and I caught the third book that had such good ratings. And the third book uh, uh, just totally captured my heart. It's just so well told. I generally, I'm not always a fan of translations because I don't necessarily feel like I'm getting the full feelings, but this was so well done. I highly recommend all of the series. And even if you, even if you listen to the, uh, or read the last one. You don't even have to do the, the the other two to get the feeling of it, but I would I would definitely look at them all. The Beartown series by Frederick Bachman.
1: And so my my last one is a is a sort of small and short book. And I sort of my one word for this year is clear, C L E A R. Um, And I've been thinking in terms of, like, how do I clear things, create space for myself? And so this book is called Work Clean by Dan Charnas. And sort of the premise of the book is he applies the notion of mise en place, which is uh, used in the culinary world to the way that we organize what we do and our productivity and the way we we plan and execute on our days uh you know from everything to like how you arrange your desk how you do things how you open up your work day how you close it down all those sorts of things like that and i've been using that as an approach uh, that i want to develop more. And uh, and I keep re- returning to that book. So it's sort of like a, uh, a different perspective on the getting things done approach that, that I sort of live in, but sort of more physical in some ways about getting more control of my space. I've sort of taken to heart what uh, Tom has always says that there are filers and there are pilers. And I feel like I'm definitely a piler who needs to, to kind of break that habit. So this book is is I think gonna help me on the path to that. So I think that's what we have, Tom. I I, you know I I think that what's uh, I I mentioned that used to be that people would say, oh, here's this amazing book, and they would hand hand it to you and say like you need to read this. And I don't I don't think we do that much anymore, you know, for for any number of reasons and. Uh, So I've been thinking a lot about starting or finding a book club, maybe even a a monthly legal tech and innovation book club that I would start and and try to to put together. Or I don't know, Tom, maybe we should even start the Kenny Mile Report book club. But I'd be curious what people think about that and see if there's might be a way to get critical mass as a kind of way to share. Uh, like, I guess in that sense, the book club would be more focused on, on legal tech. Uh, but I, uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by that. Tom, what else do you have to say to kind of wrap things up?
0: only thing that I will say is, Dennis, for someone who is as active on social media as you are, I am still amazed that you have not taking advantage of the opportunities on Goodreads because uh, that whole, here's a book you should read is really what Goodreads is about. I I get an email every day to say, here's what your friends are currently reading. And what's interesting to me is, is that occasionally I will get a note, I'll get an email and it says, so-and-so has put this book on their list of to read books. Well, that was a book that I just read and I just rated very highly. So it is absolutely a place where you can recommend books to people and people will say, hey, what's so-and-so reading? Oh, they ranked it as a three stars. Well, I'm going to stay away from that book. The other nice piece about Goodreads is you can create your own book club on Goodreads and recommend books and talk to each other. So uh, not a bad platform for discussing books. Anyway, all right, we've done enough talking about books. We're going to talk about other, we're going to get back to the technology, full-fledged technology topics on our next segment. But before we do that, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, My Case, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at slash simple. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We love to dive into new
1: areas where there hasn't been much conversation yet in, in legal. In this segment, we wanted to take a look at something called federation, which refers to the interoperability and decentralization of social media platforms. So sort of the opposite of where we are now with these siloed and centralized social media platforms. So that means that users of the platforms, the these sort of federated platforms, had the ability to connect and interact across the different social media networks, and it breaks down the barriers and silos. So you can have this interconnected, seamless experiment, experience. The concept is, you, is we're trying to promote user choice and freedom and to actually encourage healthy competition among social media platforms. With it comes things like unified feeds, the ability to engage from the different platforms and communicate with friends and followers regardless of the specific platform they're using. So uh, there are other benefits sort of conceptually that uh, the people who've created these, these uh, platforms think about. So greater control over your personal data, kind of dealing with that concentration of, of power in the, in the big tech companies and promoting a more diverse and inclusive social media landscape. So Tom, what piqued your interest in Federation?
0: Well, it's not so much that my interest is peaked. It's that this is a topic that we need to be talking about on the podcast. We are, we, we always try to introduce concepts that aren't necessarily being talked about in legal technology circles, and this is one of those. I think that federated platforms may very well become the future of how we use social networking. I think it came up for me mostly because we are... Watching Twitter slowly die or slowly become something that we don't want to pay much attention to or be a part of. And we watch competitors like Mastodon and Blue Sky come up to challenge it. And as we record this podcast, uh, Instagram has just announced that they're going to create their own Twitter like product. So, you know, where do we go from here? And Federation may very well be the answer. So, to explain a little bit more, about Dennis's explanation, uh, description of it. Let's compare Federation to a telephone network. If you make a phone call, your provider is going to connect you to the phone provider of the person you're calling no matter where in the world you happen to be, no matter what network that person happens to be on, because all phone networks talk to each other. That's just the way that it's built. They all talk to each other. And Federation or I guess the, the increasingly popular term, which feels a little crazy, a little geeky, but the Fediverse, it works the same way. It's a collection of thousands, probably thousands, of independent social media servers uh, that talk to each other in a seamless way, which means that everyone can interact with each other as if you're on a single social network just like if you were all on Facebook together or all are all on Twitter together or all on TikTok together, but you're all on different sites. You know, Mastodon is probably the best example of this right now. It's a Twitter alternative, but it's instead of, Of being like Twitter, which is hosted in one place, in one server. It's hosted on hundreds or maybe thousands at this point of different servers. You join your own Mastodon server, but once you join, you can then talk with users who are on every Mastodon server all all around the world. It's just like the phone network. There are Fediverse servers for photo and video sharing, for live streaming, for book clubs. Hey, that's maybe an idea. They all use... This common standard. And so if you here's another term for you to pay attention to, it's called activity pub. It's been around since 2018, which is really something that is helping to connect all of these platforms. And activity pub allows it, you to appear as if you are all in the same place, no matter what site you're on. So, Let's say you're using Mastodon instead of Twitter and you follow someone who's using a site. There's a site up there called PeerTube, which is a little bit like YouTube. You can share videos on it. And if that person, that friend, publishes a video, even though you're not on PeerTube, it will automatically show up on your feed in Mastodon. And then if you comment on that video in Mastodon, even though if your friend isn't a member of Mastodon, that comment will immediately show up in the next to the video on Peertube, as if somebody was commenting right on that site. So it's nice. It's as if you were able to post something on Facebook that someone who is in Twitter could read, I guess is the best uh, analog to that. And, you know, it's interesting is this technology has been around since 2008. A lot of the things we talk about as if they're new on the podcast have actually been around for a long period of time. But I think we're still in early days, mostly because the past 15 years have been dominated by big tech, by Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all those, Twitter. But with Twitter starting to decline in popularity I think more people are starting to look at the Fediverse as a real possibility, and I think we have to pay attention to it as well. Um, if you want to learn more about it, uh, there's a great site out there called Fedi, fedi.tips, F-E-D-I i.t i p s Great guide to all things about the Fediverse. Lots of good basic uh, videos and explainers and things like that. Uh, Denocide did a whole lot of talking there. Anything more to add about Federation?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting uh, approach that will uh, has the potential to grow. I mean, it solves some problems that you have and that and became apparent, as you said, as, as Twitter kind of started to self-destruct and give us examples of things that we didn't like to see. And so one thing is to say, like, if I want to go to move from Twitter to Mastodon or, you know, uh, I call it Blue Ski. I can't make, I don't know why it just looks like it's, <laughs> it's, it's just Blue Ski and not Blue Sky. But if I want to move to one of those, what I would like to do is to like automatically uh, be able to find and follow like the people who I was already following on Twitter. And that is, at this point still very difficult to do so you feel like you're moving from one silo to another you'd like to say i would like to kind of under the surface of things have this connection going uh, so i can find all these things like no matter where people are at and not get back in, in and leave this world of silos so if you go way way back tom to the Early days of email when you were like, oh, I have email, but I'm on CompuServe, so I can't email you because you're on AOL. Uh, it's sort of as you try to move between social media platforms, you get that feeling. And it is early days on Mastodon and, and uh Blueski and, and uh, you know, some of the others. And finding people there and f- deciding whether they're going to work for you is really difficult. But we're facing the real difficulty of Twitter not being a place that it feels like you want to be associated with anymore. So definitely worth taking a look at. And for the legal community it's going to be another way where you're saying like I, I you know it's hard enough to find people on social media and their Facebook accounts and these sorts of things but now there's this whole fediverse of other places that they might uh, have information communications other things and that could have implications for 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 law practice so uh, it's definitely one of those areas that I think we're gonna find that you need to know just a little bit more about and watch developments there. So now it's time for a parting shots at one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away.
0: All right. So um, I'm giving a surprise, surprise, a Microsoft 365 tip. Used to be that it was um, hard to check out new versions of upcoming editions of, of certain Microsoft tools by being in the early uh, preview edition. Um, but I think that they're trying to give. Uh, just regular users the ability to see what's uh, coming out and what's available and you may notice if you open up either your Outlook application or your uh, Teams application, you may notice up in the corner something that will say try the new Teams or try the new Outlook and it's a toggle switch and it's great that it's a toggle switch because it means you can go back and forth, you can try the new Teams and it will open up a version of new Teams with new features in it that you can test out, you can use full time if you want. to, or you can switch back at any time and use the old version. Same with Outlook, you can click the Try the New Outlook button, it'll let you use the newer version, you'll notice they're starting to move away from the complicated menu version of, uh, of Outlook and moving towards something that's a lot more streamlined, looking more like the online version uh, than the application-based thing. But I like that idea. I like the ability to go back and forth and test it out and see if there's anything new in there that I want to see. Um, so if it shows up for you and Outlooker Teams, give it a try. Just click that toggle button, and you can always switch back if you don't like it.
1: So for me, I have two quick ones, Tom. So one is the Libby app, which is the the book checkout app that a lot of public libraries use. And when I go back, to, when I look back, when I since time I was a little kid, I love going to a library and going to new book sections and just sort of by serendipity finding interesting books. And Libby kind of takes that place for me, and it's a great place to get to get audiobooks. And I really enjoy it. And you should just, if you aren't aware of it, um, it's it just check, see if your public library has it, uh, uh, uses it, then download the app and you can check out books, uh, you know, of digital books, uh, both uh, Kindle-type books and uh, audio books from your library for, for Freezy. And then the other thing is that... I've been looking at uh, at GPT-4 as a book recommender and doing some experiments. And so there's the sort of obvious thing is, you know, like, I like this book, suggest more books like this one. Or I like this author. Who else might I like? Those sorts of things. But uh, I did some recent experience, experience where I said, I want to learn about this topic. What are the best books to start with? And the results were really interesting and useful. So I think there's some ways that you can, uh, in, in sort of the, the non-traditional ways and maybe more creative than that simple recommender, you know, you bought this book, you might want to buy these other ones, that you can be, have some more sophisticated recommender approaches uh, using GPT. So uh, worth taking a look at that.
0: And before we close up, let's just take a quick look at the tape. And I'm going to rewind back to the beginning of the podcast. And, oh, yes, it says, Dennis says, I will again comply with Tom's prohibition on discussing GPT. (laughs) Penalty. To the
1: letter, to the letter of the law.
0: We'll see how that works out in the next podcast. But until then, that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for our show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, or in your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn, maybe occasionally on Twitter. Remember, we love to get that voicemail. That number again is 720-441-6820.
1: from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report only on the Legal Talk Network.